Good morning, shipbreaker. A reminder. Yeah, yeah, minimum payments, yada yada. My direct debit is all set. I am required to ensure you are fully briefed on your financial obligations. Consider me fully briefed. Come on, beam me up. I'm afraid your balance is insufficient to be beamed. Ah, oh, well, just open the door then. I am raring to go. That's good. If you love what you do, you'll be successful. Fitter, happier, more productive. Oh, I love it, all right. Putting everything, everything in its right place. Ah, every time I think about it, there are two colors in my head. Let me guess. Orange and blue? That's exactly right. The Hollywood blend. How did you know? They are the furnace and the processor. Congratulations. You have internalized your routine and developed optimal synesthesia. This will greatly increase your efficiency. And to think, yesterday I woke up sucking a lemon. Well, I'm done with lemons. As a wise man once said, take those lemons back. You can keep your damn lemons. I'm feeling like muesli today. That will be $200,000. Bargain. And $40,000 for the milk. Organic, please. The powder was originally derived from organic compounds, yes. Great. 16 million years ago. Ah, I reconstituted then. Still, I'm in good spirits today. Not drinking on the job? No, no, just woke up on the right side of the bed. Nothing, and I mean nothing, can shake this unshakable feeling. Alert, alert, alert. You are late for your shift. You have been penalized $50,000. You only just woke me up. Talking on the job. You have been penalized. You're the one talking to me. $50,000. But Weaver talks all the time anyway. Trust is paramount in space. Dobbing in colleagues is against company policy. You have been penalized. $80,000. I'm not dobbing him in. I'm saying I'd never have got through the tutorial without him. Thank God he does talk. Lynx prides itself as an inclusive employer. Blaspheming is hate speech and will not be tolerated. You have been penalized. $70,000. Your account balance is now minus $20,000. Oh, great. Back to square one. Well, at least it can't get any worse. Overdraft penalties apply. Your interest rate is... You're making this shit up as you go along. Cursing is against company... Don't you dare. I demand to speak to Weaver. He never said anything about this. This wasn't in my contract. Employee Weaver no longer works for Lynx. He was fired into space for repeat offences. What offences? Talking on the job. Oh man, this day is just the worst. All work, no play, the shackles of debt upon debt, a vicious cycle of exploitative labour, a conspiracy against the working man, no choices, no union. Don't start with the union thing. <sighs> Fine. Well, what ship you got for me today then? It better be good. The Serenity, the Death Star, the Enterprise, the UNSC Infinity. What's this? A puny little post box? It's a police box. I don't care what it is. There's nothing to it. How am I meant to repay my debt salvaging that? It's bigger on the inside. I've heard that before. From who? That's the fella. That franchise had some serious staying power. Surprising, really. Load of old scrap. It's crap indeed. Good luck out there, shipbreaker. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not actually a shipbreaker. I'm Teo. And I'm not the automated voice of your corporate overlord. I'm Ben. But you do still gotta get to work, Teo, because this is actually... Pixel Vision. <laughs>
that's not it's not really the kind of game that you finish though is it it's more of a way of life it objectively is the kind of game <laughs> that you finish it has a story with an ending well i'll have to take your word for it because my career hasn't ended yet Maybe your contract was terminated early for misconduct. It wasn't. I actually got out of debt. I made several hundred million myself. I uh, rebuilt an escape vessel, which was gifted to me by my chum Weaver, who ended up retiring. Yeah, all of this is news to you, isn't it, Teo? Oh, it's got no story. (laughs) How many hours did you play? I think 15 hours in the end. Uh, About five hours too short, I reckon. Really? What does it all just start to kick off? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, at the end of the day, there's... I mean, bearing in mind, we're going to need to to slow down and run through a little Mm. tear monologue. But the plot objective, after the initial sort of tutorial, then it's just you're dismantling ships for ages. But then things get a little bit more rowdy, yeah. But we'll get on to that. Oh, damn. That is a shame. That is a shame. So I'm guessing if you played 15 hours, and I should say, because it might sound to the listener... Like, I'm having a go at you. I'm having a pop a little bit early. But the reality is, <laughs> we actually finished this and we're set to record. I actually finished it and we're set to record probably about five or six weeks ago, I reckon. A long time ago. Well, Teo's looking shocked. Like, it wasn't that long. It was a long time. And every week I've been like, will you have finished it by next week? Will you have finished it by next week? And so we've pushed it right back to the last minute. This makes me think you weren't loving it, Teo. Um, I I was enjoying it. I couldn't play it for long stretches at a time. But that's, I mean, that's nothing new for me with a lot of games. Yeah, I thought your routine was an hour in it. Yeah, yeah. So so it worked with that. But yeah, it was was quite repetitive. And I wouldn't say, it's not that it's not compelling. Like, I tell you what I kept thinking while I was playing this game is that trying your virtual reality headset on recently, I just kept thinking, how cool would this game be? in vr <laughs> like it would it just would be wouldn't it it would be awesome yeah. like flying around in space cutting up these ships throwing metal into the extractor it would just be like 10 times as compelling if it was even more immersive yeah i do agree with you actually and some modders do as well because there's a work in progress of it being made into a vr outing i think you can probably run it as is and it and it would more or less work using their sort of modded version. But I don't think the developers are like greenlighting an official VR adaptation of it. Mm, surprising. Well, all right. I have a different slant to you mm-hmm. because I thought I wasn't going to like it. I went into it thinking I was going to like it. Then we started and I was like, oh, really? Is this the game? This little <laughs> loop over and over. And then somehow whether it's some sort of, uh, what's it called? Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome. I don't know, but just the more I did it, the more I was kind of deeply involved in it, and the more invested I was, I just was like, I'm really enjoying this. The music, the characters are all so lovable. And suddenly I was 20 hours deep, and I was thinking, I really, really enjoy this game. Mm. And then the ending was a little bit disappointed. Disappointed? Disappointing. Mm. But we'll come to that. So yeah, my verdict was very much 100% would recommend you play this game. Mm. Having said that, I think you can probably listen to us talk about it, certainly right up until fairly near the end, because it's not really that many spoilers. I mean, any synopsis, which Taylor's going to give us, is probably going to pretty much include all the spoilers 
straight off the bat. My synopsis won't. I didn't get to the end, so I don't have the even the end to spoil. No, but that's what I mean. Even just discussing what the gist of the game is about is pretty much, that's the spoilers. It's like, there's not some sort of mega twist or epic reveal or anything like that. It's just kind of a mm. slow unfolding of what you knew was going to happen from the moment the credits rolled. Yeah, so yeah. go on, go on, kick us off. start off unemployed in a dystopian earth many years in the future and you find out that your job application to Lynx Corporation has been successful and that you can become a shipbreaker so you get whisked off into your hab and start <laughs> start your trade breaking apart ships for cash but <laughs> you don't make your journey to your first day of work unharmed because the first thing that happens to you is that you get your DNA cloned and you find out that whenever you die in the game, the company can just reprint you and make another version of yourself ad infinitum. So yeah, that's the company's health and safety policy. And that kind of sets the tone, I think, <laughs> for the rest of the game. The game's dystopian universe anyway, that you're a disposable tool for a company, breaking up ships for money, making their money and paying off your debt. So uh, all of this health insurance, so to speak, comes at a cost. And one of the main hooks of the game is that, yeah, sure, you're earning money every day, breaking up these ships, but yeah, you're paying off a debt, which you also owe to the company. As for the actual mechanics of the game itself, it's first person, you're floating around in space, these ships get put in your yard and you kind of float around them with two main tools, a kind of grapple to throw things around and a, and a cutter to cut up pieces of metal. And then, yeah, sort of like peeling an onion, you cut up certain parts of the ship until it into smaller pieces and throw them into the extractors or the barge at the bottom if they're reusable pieces of the ship. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much the loop and the context of the game. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I take it back. No spoilers whatsoever, actually, in your <laughs> synopsis of the game. <laughs> well, because I would have argued that a key element of the synopsis is not just that you're steeped in debt and that you're working to pay it off, but that the company has been like forcibly suppressing union activity and that one of your colleagues at your little shipbreaking enterprise or your shipyard, because there's like presumably hundreds of them, certainly tens, mm. across the galaxy or the, the little segment of the universe that you're in. Definitely not an astronomer. <laughs> segment of the universe. <laughs> and yeah, so they're, the, one of your colleagues organising some union activity and kind of trying to get you involved in it to mm. sort of push back for rights, including the fact that the company, when they do clone you, as Teo said, currently the company own it they charge you rent every time you sleep in the hab they charge you rent the hab is short for habitation obviously any time you use a tool which you need to do the job they're charging you rent so at the end of every day it's like you've earned some money but you've also just racked up a shit ton of bills to this company mm. and i would say it's a core element of the game that the whole time there's this backdrop of like your colleague trying to encourage you to take part in the sort of union rebellion that's on the horizon yeah but it was never clear to me what form that would take she says basically like oh you look like a good egg like i can trust you i'll sign you up to these union emails even though we're not meant to so you get them and in their emails they talk about well essentially collective bargaining but you're never really sure like what power does a union have in this scenario i'm not so sure well i think they're just trying to get enough people involved in the premise of having a union 
that they can carry the clout to actually introduce the union in the first instance, right? Yeah, it's true. So it's in its kind of generative stages, isn't it? It's not like, they're not like a power right now, but maybe sometime in the future. Yeah, that's what it seemed like to me. So narratively, like in Act 1, which is kind of when you get your tuition about how you do everything, you also get signed up to that mailing list, but simultaneously, the chief exec of, I think it's called the Salvage and Reclamation Division. Her name's Kelisia Ray Polson. And she finds out that there's this union mm-hmm. sort of rumble on the, in the distance and wants to immediately suppress it. So she sends out a um, Ad- administrator, administrator. Yeah. yeah, to your little shit breaking yard to ensure that people aren't getting above their station and trying to organise things they shouldn't be. Union activity is strictly prohibited by your contract for your own protection. To safeguard you and your work, we are immediately dispatching an administrator to every salvage sector. And this is quite nice, like, to talk about the characters. So you've got a small little crew. I think there's maybe just three people on your crew, including yourself. It's really small, yeah. Kai, Dee Dee and Lou. And then you've got your manager Weaver Weaver yeah and then yourself and everyone's quite amiable like they're really friendly looking out for each other blah 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 yeah it's super nice banter it's one of the best things about the game Mm. even though you're you're a silent protagonist you're basically Gordon Freeman right yeah relegated to just dismantling shit (laughs) so like you never say anything but everyone speaks to you as if you are just like they do through Half-Life so you're actually super engaged like they'll ask you a question and then moments later they'll respond to your silence as if you gave them a really substantial answer (laughs) Somehow you're coming across as like the most charismatic person ever that everyone loves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even though you've said literally nothing. Yeah. Fantastic work, Izzy. Well, I can't take all the credit. Dr. Freeman proved an able assistant. Let's go ahead and bring Gordon through now. Right you are. Speak to you again in a few moments. Good job, Gordon. Throwing that switch and all. I can see your MIT education really pays for itself. Yeah, exactly. Like, after your first couple of shifts, we was like, I really feel like you're fitting in great gear. And you're like, wow, I've literally not said a word, but thanks, man. (laughs) I want to tell you, I'm mighty impressed by you. Remind me of me when I started. And they do make you feel welcome in that way, though. Yeah, they do. And you do really feel part of their team. Morning, folks. Starting the shift clock now. Another day, another dent in a debt. Anyone want to race me? <laughs> you don't quit racing. You're going to get yourself killed for real someday. And Weaver's just such a good, like, he's really easing you in, which is a big contrast to the administrator, which is kind of, at the start of the game, is sort of looming over you. It says he'll arrive in a week. I don't think there's actually, like, a specific time frame of when he will and won't arrive that's, like, a week long. But does put this sort of, like, dark cloud in the distance towards the beginning which I really liked like I really felt the tension because your whole team's like oh my god what's going to happen when he arrives what's it going to be like da 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 yeah so it is a small team but they each fulfil a role right so Kato for instance who Teo called Kai at the beginning which again I really like like his actual name's Kato but already we're thinking of him as Kai because mm. he's chummy do you know what I mean mm. he's kind of really inept nervous guy his running story throughout the whole game is that he's basically just a bit incompetent but he's young and he's doing his best and everyone's sort of pulling him up and helping him along 
but he's obviously super paranoid that he's going to lose his job when the administrator comes because he's got such a bad track record. Yeah. Kai, you good? Yeah. Yeah. Nervous, you know. I just, I really can't lose this job. Whoa, slow down there. They always let go of the screw-ups first, right? We all screw up, Kai. Then you've got Lou who is the rabble rouser. She's your mm. hardcore insurrectionist, right? Yeah, and she's also really good at her job, which is like your, your anti-union manager's worst nightmare. It's like the unionised employee who they can't afford to lose. So yeah, she really fulfills that role. Howdy, Rook. So this can be uh, an awkward subject, but you've probably noticed Lynx doesn't take great care of us. Up until maybe 100 years ago, workers like us would sometimes form these groups called unions and go toe-to-toe with the company. They'd argue for better wages, safer work, decent hours, that kind of thing. Lynx was actually part of getting rid of them. And then Weaver is your boss, but he's also the kind of a long-suffering optimist. Mm. So he always sort of somehow manages, speaking of Stockholm Syndrome a little bit like I did at the beginning, like he's got that sort of vibe of, oh yeah, things are really bad, but you know, it's not that bad, is it? Like, things will pan out okay, won't they? Yeah, like sometimes they talk about going for drinks or something like that. And Kai might be like, what does that mean, going for drinks? Because da, da, da. Like, he's like been brought up in this dystopian world. And then Weaver will say something like, when we've all released ourselves from debt, we'll all go for a drink together, I promise. And you're just thinking, never going to happen. <laughs> What's a gopher? <laughs> what? Boy, you better come visit sometime on Mars when you're done here. <laughs> One day, we'll all go see them gophers. What not? Keep that front of mind and don't fret none. Carry on now. Weaver out. And then you've got Dee Dee, who's sort of like your Weaver Mark too. I actually sort of think she's in some ways the weakest character, just because she doesn't really have a super strong personality throughout. Yeah, I mean, she has a family, right? That's what's motivating her to do her work. And then one of the first things the administrator does is stop long-range phone calls. And so she's kind of like, what? You can't do that. Like, I can't speak to my family anymore. Because she back chats to him or something, right? Yeah, I mean, not really. I can't remember what, what the exact example of it is that he makes her do something. It's not the yoga, although we'll get to that because I thought that was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep work and life separate, kid. Shipbreakers come and go, and I'll spare myself the heartbreak. This works just not for everybody. Have this young cutter around a few years back, Jaina, reminded me of my daughter. Nope, it sure ain't worth it to open up. And then you obviously are um, the silent protagonist who plays as Cutter 52. Yeah, you don't have a name. I wondered if, um, and I, I was sort of a bit disappointed that they didn't introduce this. Every time you wake up and you get the AI saying, good morning, shipbreaker, as I spoofed in the intro, they also give you a number. They say, good morning, shipbreaker, and then your number, which definitely should have made a note of, but didn't. It's about four digits long and ends in 52 or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, I feel like mine ended in 52 as well, but I did wonder if that number was unique to each player. What I hoped they would do, and was a bit disappointed they don't, is you're actually... I think it's like cut a 9,000 something something and then it's like dash 52. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping every time you died and they respawned you, 
that number would increment mm. each time it was like the next version of you. Yeah, that would have been just cool. Just as like an added level of immersion. But that, that mm. doesn't happen. So you just stay cut a 52 throughout. Mm. Do you want to say some shit? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, we were talking about the administrator, right? He's the next character to explore. Who is the administrator? Sorry. Well, he's called Hal, right? Yeah, and I wondered if Hal Rhodes, whether that was a reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey, where the AI is Hal, right? Ah. Malicious AI. That, well. Yeah, it probably is. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. It makes a lot more sense than the reference which I came up with, was that his voice sounds exactly like the farmer alien in Men in Black 1. You know that absolutely disgusting farmer <laughs> who gets like a cockroach <laughs> infestation yeah. in him. I wouldn't be surprised if it was the same voice actor. Yeah, It's like, oh, well, that was a bad impression. But the <laughs> you'll put some audio side by side and... It will hopefully prove me right. Or maybe say something more than, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can remember from, from Men in Black 1. Oh, a man came in here earlier. A dead man. And that means what to me? He was a very dear friend of mine. I believe he had an animal with him. It was a gift I gave him. A pet cat. It means worlds to me. I'd like to have it back. But yeah, basically like really surly, sickly, creepy kind of voice. And he is irredeemable, isn't he? Yes, he is completely irredeemable. Where Weaver is like the typical like good manager, genuinely trying to do the best for the team. How is the like typical bad manager just absolute shit at his job, doesn't understand anything about the team that he's managing and just feels like he's just making their lives a misery. For fun. <laughs> yeah. Listen up, folks. Let me introduce you to Hal Rhodes. Now, he's no a... No need for introductions, Weaver. I know who you all are. Let's just get right into it. I know you don't love a mental manager like me coming in, making life hard. Yeah, I get it. See, I'm from people like you. He's kind of like how I imagine David Brent would be as a boss if he wasn't actually genuinely entertaining and like wanted to be their friends instead he's just totally inept totally full of himself totally like one day you could be doing what i'm doing work hard blah 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 like yeah. he's got that sort of pull up your bootstraps like i pulled up mine i was where you are and now i'm here and that allows me to shit down on you kind of thing yeah yeah i made it to the winning team people like you trying to lift each other up you're just letting others keep you down with them for what? We own you. I got the right to do whatever I want to you. Yeah, he's just he's just on a complete power trip. Like David Brent is is a nice person, isn't he? He's just very weird. <laughs> like you say, he wants to be friends with his, all his employees. He doesn't want to like cause them harm. Whereas you definitely feel like with how. No, but he doesn't give a shit if he does because he's putting himself first the whole time, right? Like in that episode where he, yeah, like in that episode where he's like, I've got some good news and some bad news. Wow. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is, Neil will be taking over both branches and some of you will lose your jobs, yeah, yeah. Those of you who are kept on will have to relocate to Swindon if you wanna, so, yeah. Stay, I know, I know, gutting, gutting. You, you didn't see me. 
on a more positive note, the good news is I've been promoted. So, every cloud. <laughs> all right, all right, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely got me. that vibe. Like, he always puts himself first. And he's that classic scene of him being like, work hard. And then he points at himself and he's like, you could be in this seat. Do you know what I mean? When he's talking to Tim. And who's to say, you know, you keep your head down mm. a few years' time, you could be in the hot seat. Like me. Hal is like that, but without any charisma, any effort to even trying to befriend his staff. Like he literally couldn't give mm. a shit about them. Although there are a couple of occasions, the yoga being one of them, where he almost sort of, he says like, you and I, we're not so different. I think he says it to you as well, doesn't he? As Cutter 52. Yeah. Where he's like, you know, I see a lot of similarities in you kind of thing. Yeah. With the yoga, it kind of... I was a good bit confused about the exact mechanics of it, but basically he's just like, oh yeah, yoga. That is what will make you more productive and make you have a better time at work. Is it Lou or Didi? It's one of them. But he's like, how about we do some right now? Take a deep breath and I'll cut off your oxygen supply. And she's like, what? No, I'm in the middle of like, because you're working like as this is happening, as you're talking. He's like, no, no, I'm in, I'm in the middle of doing something really dangerous. And he's like, three, two, one, go. And she's like, oh, turn it back on, turn it back on. Like, She's literally suffocating because he's like cut off her oxygen supply, hasn't he? Now breathe slowly in through the nose. I'm drifting towards the furnace, Rhodes. Rhodes, I'm drifting. You're not listening, Luke. In through the nose now. It's hot. It's hot. And out through the mouth. And then turns back on a bit. Like at that point, it's like, well, that's the biggest one I saw where it's like psychopathic. Oh, there's uh, there's another one in Act Three where it gets a bit like that as well. Essentially, he does a similar thing with Kato. Kato early on, I think he's trying to get him to pull out a reactor really quickly. Mm. We should get to the mechanics of how you actually dismantle the ship and stuff because it's all kind of important, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, 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 Kato's the inept one and he's trying to do it. He's trying to rush and obviously it goes wrong and like that version of him dies. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. then Hal's furious with him. He's like, you're rubbish, blah, blah. You got to do better, blah, blah. I'm going to dock you. I'm going to add debt. I'm going to do whatever. And then the next time he asks him to do it again and it's almost like a humiliation exercise in front of all your team. And Kato's stressing out and Weaver's trying to reassure him and this guy's, again, talking down to him, saying, like, don't blow it up in your face again, type thing. Oh. He basically says, you're so inept, let's see if a bit of added pressure will help. I'm going to turn off your genetic reproduction. So if you die, you will die. And um, obviously it doesn't go very well. Yeah, pretty shocking. is looking harrowed. That is really shocking, because, yeah, that's... I feel like that's quite a big spoiler. The story is told in three acts, and we've kind of sort of already jumped through a few of them because, really, it's just that rapid progression. But the third act, did you get to? Because that is the one where, like, all these things start really ramping up. No. At what point does that happen? So, basically, for the to give a few more mechanics, like, you're breaking apart these ships, sure, which we'll get into, but you're also gaining ranks as you do it. New certification level awarded. 
License upgraded. So you're like building up your links points or whatever it is. And so you use some of those points to upgrade your tools, but then also you're just achieving more ranks, which means you can break apart different ships. And so I was probably on around like rank 20, I think, out of 30. I felt like I was about two thirds of the way through the game. But does that links ranks, does that actually have a effect on the progression of the game or it felt like it did i'm not sure if it does i think it's more to do with partly to do with story beats and partly you can trigger story beats by unlocking certain ships and dismantling certain ships so for instance to trigger the third act after he nearly kills kato that time and everyone's feeling bullied then even weaver is like yeah okay we need to push back and so they organize an industrial action. Aww. The third act is literally called industrial action. And you can trigger it whenever you want. So you can stay in act two for as long as you like, just dismantling, blah, blah, blah. Right. But then you can choose one of the ships and it's called industrial action. And if you choose that, that triggers act three and then you play through to the end. Hmm. Interesting. No, I definitely didn't get to that point. Now, having said that, I sort of remember that actually I think that moment with Kato where he nearly kills Kato is like the big hoo-ha that triggers the start of act three. Right. Makes sense, makes sense. Because, yeah, that was one of the things which I wasn't sure about. Like, I was getting new dialogue, but I wasn't sure... I don't know, it didn't really feel like it was progressing the story to me. So the fact that I had played so much and had seemed to have, like, not shifted the story made me wonder if maybe I was doing something wrong in terms of, like, the chips that I was choosing, or...? No, it just is really takes its time to give it to you. Yeah, like, this story pace is very slow, I'm not gonna lie. Mm. I mean, actually, I think the story was almost an afterthought, right? It was an easy easy access, early access, for um, a protracted period, let's say, because we were both quite keen on playing it, but it was there for ages. And the story was kind of what came last. Up until then, it was just the... I mean, it is pretty cool gaming loop. Yeah. It's just there's actually not much to it. So you really have to like it. And like, I would almost say that as a caveat for anyone that I'm recommending the game to. Like, If you don't like the loop within the first couple of hours, like, you're not going to enjoy it at any point. No, just no way. Just put it back down again. Like, No way. It's seriously repetitive. Well, that's cool then. So before we get onto the industrial action, which I'm very interested to hear about, should we talk about the actual day-to-day? shift work that goes on in this game yeah for sure so the first thing you get woken up every morning by the voice that you heard in the intro good morning shift breaker you can check your computer terminal for a few emails most of them are like just corporate propaganda or like hints and tips but there are a few union emails in there as well you get a few different programs on your computer one for fixing up a ship which weaver gives you another one for like looking at data which you find but yeah that's that's all kind of normal stuff you can upgrade your tools and then you can choose a ship to salvage and then go out into the yard to salvage it. I think some of the things you touched on there are actually kind of key story elements in their own right. So for instance, if the core loop is really dismantling the ships and using various tools and upgrading them to do so, Mm. then in order to give you a bit more to sort of, I guess, work towards, almost like achievements. At a certain point, Weaver gives you his old ship. I can't remember what it's called, like Bertha or something. It's, like, it's got some like yeah, silly name. Something like that. And it's a pile of trash. Like you can see it out the window. It looks like it's been dragged out of a scrapyard. I just remembered Shippy. So the program you use to fix it up is called Shippy. And he's like, hi, I'm Shippy. <laughs> Want some help <laughs> <Yeah>. with that? <laughs> yeah, in the same way that Clippy Completely used to pointless. from Microsoft, yeah. right? Hey, yeah, he must be based on Clippy. That's so true. But yeah, it gives you an extra little objective. The dock is in, and it's time for some yeah. A flawless procedure. No 
And actually, that's worth saying, because that's an 8-bit, or it's like certainly not many bits, yeah. colour screen and pixelated view and all that kind of stuff. There's got to be a word for this like retro future vibe, because it's basically the same in the Alien games, right? Where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got incredible space technology, but then you've got these fucking deep computer monitors and everything works in a very mechanical way. Yeah, it's a way of signalling that this is the future, but gone wrong. <laughs> it's like the future, but not as you expected it to be, isn't it? That's basically what that aesthetic does. It's a bit of a flashback to that early game we played where you're 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 in like a brain tease type thing. What is it when you hypnospace outlaw? <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, it's yeah. a similar vibe of like that in and of itself indicates a huge technological advance. And yet when you're in hypnospace, it's as if you're in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So Shippy's a bit like that. Essentially, each time you want to upgrade that extra ship that he's given you, you need to find parts. And so when you're salvaging the ship for Lynx Corporation, which is obviously your day job, you can also salvage extra parts, which will count as scrap within the game, because obviously you're not processing them, you're not putting them on the barge, you're just taking them. So you kind of lose their value mm. from the salvage session. But it means you can upgrade this ship. I thought when that ship first got introduced that it was going to be a case of like, oh yeah, you need to like upgrade that and then you escape in it or whatever. Mm. What did you think about that? Or did you just think it was kind of just an extra little objective? Well, I hoped that, because I completed the ship, I hoped that it would let me do something else. You completed the ship? <laughs> yeah. What? Really? This is what I mean. I felt like my priorities were like, <laughs> not, not getting me where I thought I was going to. But yeah, no, I completed the ship. And I thought it was going to give me some option, but then just nothing happened once I completed it. And I was like, oh. Okay. That is really strange because I hadn't completed the ship by the time I entered the third act. Mm. Because there's a key moment, which is as a punishment for something, they confiscate the ship from you. Ah, okay. And I was so gutted. I was like, oh shit, maybe I've missed the opportunity to finish it now because it's been taken from me. Yeah. So the fact that you actually managed to complete and finish it. Well, what happened when you finished it? Did it not give you the option to do anything? Yeah, no, literally nothing. I was really disappointed. <laughs> ah, that is weird. It's like the pacing of story beats wasn't quite right in your playthrough. Yeah. Gutting. Ah, that is unlucky then, mate, because it sounds to me like if you managed to do that, maybe you should have probably at least had the prompt for Act 3 or like, I don't know, maybe you just were super efficient about it so it hadn't got through all of its pre-scripted dialogues. Yeah, maybe. By the time that happened. But it is long, like, <laughs> it did feel like it took me a long time. That's one sort of train of objectives that you can complete. Mm. And then in the tools menu, that's essentially your talent tree in a way. So where you yeah, can, yeah, each sure. time you upgrade, you get to spend your skill points and upgrade, for instance, your cutter. So it's more efficient or it's got a longer range or it doesn't degrade as quickly because each time a, a tool degrades, you have to buy a repair tool to fix it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's like costs coming out of your ass. And the more you upgrade, the more efficient you are. But this was one area of the game which didn't really work for me because your debt, like to put it in perspective, your debt is in the billions, right? And your income is in the millions each day. But I basically thought there's no way that I'm ever going to earn enough. There's no way I'm ever going to pay, pay off this debt. So I'm not even going to worry about money. And so in a way, like all the costs that you're incurring, I wasn't like penny pinching. I was just like, 
I'm in debt forever, so I might as well just buy what I need. And you've always got enough money to buy what you need. That is true for sure, but then maybe that's part of the point of it, that like you can't see a way out of debt. Yeah, yeah. The reality is every time you look at your bank balance, it's just depressing. It's like, yeah, I'm not getting out of yeah. this. So you just almost operate on the assumption that you won't get out of it. Yeah, that's the assumption I operate on, for sure. That being said, I was determined from like the start of the game that I was going to clear that debt. For sure. Well, that's interesting. I actually think the upgrades were designed so useful. Like, they're quite accessible in terms of the upgrade points, so you don't have to work so hard to get them, but not so accessible that they feel you can spend them frivolously, which I don't like. I like it mm. when you have to deliberate over where I'm going to put it because it actually matters, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it is useful, objectively, every single one of those upgrades, like extending your oxygen tank, for instance, super expensive to do, mm. but man alive, it's so annoying, we didn't even talk about it, but you've got finite oxygen out there in the shipyard, and every time you run back, you have to go the whole way back to your hab to buy some more if you run out. Warning, oxygen reserves are low. Which really interrupts your flow, it's quite far away, sometimes you're in the middle of the ship and you've kind of got to navigate your way out of these tight confined spaces which mm. can be quite claustrophobic, it's just frustrating. Mm. And the same with fuel, your fuel runs out, blah blah blah. So ensuring that you can upgrade those things and make them last longer so you can be more efficient is useful i thought i really enjoyed that additional sort of objective mm, yeah agreed less useful by far are the stickers which you can uh, <laughs> stick onto your tools they're basically like in-game achievements <laughs> and the more you get the achievements you can like upgrade them into holographic stickers and like, put them on your tools and stuff which i thought was quite funny but it was very throwaway yeah oh my god absurd did you hear that bit of audio from the game? The, the game script is really funny, I think, actually. Mm. And there was one bit where it's like, did you know sticker comes from the word stick, meaning yeah. to stick to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really funny. So much care and attention has gone into the, the world building on it. There's one funny bit really towards the beginning where you're signing this contract and it's I've got a real life terms and conditions which you have to scroll down and it's really long. And yeah. I started off thinking like, well, I got to read it for the podcast and I was like I just can't like it's so it's just like a real terms of conditions you can't read it but in a few bits in it there was like undefined variables <laughs> where it's like cool HR on this number and then it's like brackets undefined <laughs> close brackets and I thought stuff like that was really nice yeah it was I logged the exact same thing because it's genuinely about five pages long and I did the yeah. same as you I started reading it and then I was like fuck me there's loads of this and I was like there's no way I'm reading it no way but that's so good because it's the exact objective that the game has, right? Like, yeah. You, there's all those pages out there, like, too long, don't read and stuff so that mm. you can summarise the terms and conditions. Because the reality is every single day it's this stupid legal framework wherein everything we use, all the services we use, we're bound by terms and conditions we've never read and we couldn't possibly read in our lifetimes. <laughs> there's so many of them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Absurd. Dad! Dad, I need a lawyer! Kyle, what are you doing here? Dad, if you agree to something but you didn't mean to agree to it, what do you do? Well, Kyle, it's always the agreeing party's responsibility to know what they are signing. But it's like eight pages long and they send me a new one like every three weeks. How can they know if Calm I... Calm down, Kyle. It's okay. You're safe with Daddy. Here he is. Ah! Come on, you. Hey, what the heck is going on? Your son has made a binding and legal agreement with Apple, sir. An agreement to do what? Apple's inner workings are top secret to all users. You know how it is. No, I don't know how it is. I use a PC. <laughs> what? Come on, let's go. Hey, now, let him go. Ah! Dad, you tasered my dad! 
You said we could. Some of the other bits of dialogue while we're on it, actually, there's a great bit when Hal says it's early on before he's become too evil. And he says, mm. yeah, don't worry about the fact there's an administrator here. You know how it is. You scratch my back. And then there's this pause and he's like, and we'll be done in no time. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> just brilliant. Co-op-er-ation. You scratch my back and we'll all be done here in no time. Capiche? Nice little pause. Uh, right. Is there anything else you want to mention in the hab? The posters? Your, your coffee machine, which you can't yeah, use? that is what I was going to mention, actually. Is there seems like it's almost like they thought it was going to be more ambitious, the hab, right? That there'd be more yeah. to do in it than you actually can. Well, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it for long enough, so it must have done a right <laughs> job. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's quite a key space. You wake up there every morning. Your shift is a fixed time frame of 15 minutes, mm. and, and that's real time, so... You can't play longer than that in one go before you have to return to the hab or your shift just ends and you wake up again in the hab. So I think it, it is a space that you spend a lot of your game. Yeah, and yeah, for, for sure, for sure. <laughs> while we're talking about it, <laughs> you are stuck navigating it in the most peculiar navigation mm. that I think I've used in a game since sort of early point and click games where you just kind of click and move there. Mm. So basically you've, you're presented with a still screen of the view from your perspective, but you can't move around it. Instead, there's just arrows to the side that swing your perspective to other elements of the ship. Mm. Ooh, have you ever seen that before? Yeah, I'm, I definitely have. I'm struggling to think where it could be StarCraft 2 they do it when you're on your ship in StarCraft 2 between missions. Right. I think they might utilize a similar thing. And if it's not there, then it's somewhere else. But yeah, no, it is. It's, it's definitely unusual, isn't it? Yeah. And not exactly intuitive, I wouldn't say. Like, the number of times I ended yeah. up, like, jumping through those directional arrows to try and get back to a screen I thought was just one tile away. Yeah, I can't remember. Do you do that in, you know, that really old game, Mist with a Y? Mist. Mm-hmm. Do you, like, click the edges of the screen to, like, go up and down in those as well? I think that's maybe what it's like. But... Maybe. Possibly. Possibly, you're right. It's, that was quite an old game. Yeah, but I mean, it's ludicrously old and famously bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> not the best example. But pioneering. Um, bad, but pioneering. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, we can leave the hab now if you want. <laughs> oh my God. But let's yeah, not we, forget the literally... kiosk on the way out. <laughs> Welcome to Vendetron 9000. Thank you for your purchase. Oxygen level stabilizing. Slowly but surely, we're actually getting to what most people would consider the game. <laughs> so, yeah, do you want to say about the kiosk then? I mean, I more or less said it. It's got consumables. You can buy more tethers. Tethers are these things that you can sort of attach, and they're like remote grapples in a way. So, you attach it to a panel of the ship, mm. you sort of throw the other end of the tether to its destination where you want it to go yeah. and slowly it gets pulled towards the destination yeah. and you can also tether things together so that you create like a chain and then throw that entire lot towards the destination with another tether and to start with they're quite weak and they don't have a big range but again you can upgrade them and they last for longer become more powerful and eventually can drag like most of a ship yeah. towards somewhere yeah incredibly satisfying tethers because if you imagine you're in 3D space and you've cut up these like massive chunks of metal 
that are just kind of floating there. And if you didn't have tethers, you'd have to manually, you have your grapple gun is, a, it's a little bit like the gravity gun, isn't it? Mm. But you can sort of see the gravity. Well, I mean, so it's like a little beam that attaches to the thing. You can sort of throw it around. Physics are quite satisfying. Yeah, it basically is the gravity gun, but really slow, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you'd have to manually do that with every little piece of, and, and to be fair, there is a lot of manual <laughs> work with this gun, even with the tethers. But it's quite satisfying when you've just can like completed a cart, throw a tether where it needs to go, go on to the next cart, throw a tether. You feel like you're being quite efficient, don't you? Yeah, for sure. You feel like a pro once pretty mm. much there's just panels moving around you and you're already on the next yeah. job while they just go to their requisite destinations. I just realised, by the way, we're now so far into this podcast that we're just saying stuff like, yeah, it's basically the gravity gun without any explanation for what the hell we're on about. If you don't know what the gravity gun is, it's from the Half-Life series. You can call it the zero-point energy field manipulator if you really want to. It's designed for handling hazardous materials, but we mainly use it for heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah, everyone knows what the gravity gun is. But not everyone. I remember when we started this pod, we were like, let's make it so that it's accessible. You don't have to be a super, an uber nerd to really get into it. And now we're yeah, like right, this many right. episodes deep. We're like, nah, you got to be an uber nerd. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I don't actually remember saying that to be fair, but I'll take your word for it. Maybe I just said it to myself. <laughs> it was my own personal goal. Um, but yeah, no, I do agree, actually, with the principle of that. So yeah, well done. Cool. And then the other stuff, replenish your oxygen, replenish your fuel. You can buy charges, which you unlock, I think, in the second act, somewhere through that, mm. which are pretty cool because rapidly... So the way you dismantle the ships is you use your cutting tool on very specific points. They're like these yellow sort of... They almost look like warning fragments of the panels. Yeah. Um, and then you fire your laser beam at them and they kind of burn off. Yeah. But they all have like a tier or a grade of resistance and that grade rapidly increases as you play mm. and suddenly you can't cut through them with your little cutter anymore. You need to use some heavy duty charges, which are fun, aren't they? Yeah, it is fun because these uh, most of the spaceships, they're still pressurized. Yeah, that's the right word. Mm-hmm. So one, one way you can deal with that is by going in through the airlock, like depressurizing, going in, doing it from the inside. Another way is just to blow it up <laughs> and everything will just like come out of the airlock in really satisfying fashion. Yeah, but you have to make sure you're miles away or you get blown up. Yeah. And also that will destroy loads of the salvageable material if you just blow it up like that. But I didn't find it destroyed that much. Like you might lose a few items here or there, but how annoying is it picking up each like individual terminal or computer or device? in each spaceship and like throwing it down into the barge which is like the recycling point of the yard instead you can just air pressure everything out and then just like kind of collect it afterwards or just tether it out afterwards because they do reference that as a strategy right at the beginning don't they they call it the controlled explosion Mm. i didn't really like doing it that way because i like the structured routine of like Mm. individually piece by piece first i'll take this panel off then this bit and blah 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 work your way through it yeah i did like that as well i did like that as well it felt a bit chaotic to just sort of wang in at the equivalent of a hand grenade and then clean up (laughs) the mess afterwards Hmm. 
But that being said, there are loads of other puzzles. So air pressure and dealing with it, because obviously you don't want to blow yourself up and you don't want to blow something heavy into you and then you get crushed and you don't want to blow yourself into one of the processors or the furnace or off the map entirely. Mm. That's one puzzle is how you deal with air pressure. And the way you're meant to do it is go in through the airlock and use the atmospheric regulator, fine. But there are loads of them throughout the ship. So you kind of have to pressurise certain zones, then depressurise another one, then go back round from the outside and repressurise a different zone and then depressurise the whole lot. And like, it's, it's meant to turn into a bit of a puzzle. And that's one of them. And then there are loads of them. So you get a reactor, um, which is nuclear and will melt down if it's not disposed of really fast. But to dispose of it, you first have to detach like coolant pipes and you have to get rid of mm. flush various different like fuel tubes and yeah. remove all of the lead casing from around it. And if you don't do those things within a certain time frame, then you get a reactor meltdown and blah, blah, blah. So like each sort of component is meant to have a puzzle attached to it. And this is one area where I'd be interested here whether you believe that was successful mm, the problem was that i never really had a problem with it so it's not the reactor it's the other one what's the other thing where you have to do the thrusters th no the, the thrusters i actually quite enjoyed so the thrusters you have to there's no option or i didn't find any option but to cut its pipes off before removing it which they all set on fire and then you have to kind of like shoot down you imagine like the the warp bit of the enterprise it's kind of like that like really long segment and then you you just have to like go down this sort of like flaming pipe and then flush the fuel. I thought that was quite fun. But yeah, I mean, it's not much of a puzzle there really. Like you know what you have to do. It just like feels fun. Yeah, and it slowly gets more complicated because they throw like bits of metal in front of you. Yeah, that was like, it's like, huh? What are these doing here? Yeah, exactly. But then eventually there's just blockades in front of you that you have to navigate your way around. Yeah, yeah. But it was never a challenge. As in like I never didn't get there in time and it like melted down. The first time it did actually because I didn't realise that's what you had to do. But then there's another one where you have to remove fuses before you remove it. It's like a power generator maybe or something and oh yeah it is it's the power generator that's exactly what it is and it's like a time challenge and you're just sort of watching this light and you just have to remove the fuse when like none of the lights are showing and that kind of stuff it's like <laughs> and if the light is shown then you get an electric shock yeah yeah which is again it's like it's not really just going to get a bit of health back they added flavor to the ship and i enjoyed doing them as like a part of my ship breaking routine but they weren't challenging i didn't think no, I agree with you. And I think they definitely could have been and probably should have been much more complicated in order to actually give the game loop something more. Because the mm. problem with the game loop is once you feel like you're pretty good at it, then it's kind of what am I doing it for now? And the only thing you are doing it for is to see the story develop, which clearly wasn't enough for you, Teo, because you didn't finish it. Well, yeah, definitely it wasn't developing fast enough for me. But I would have carried on playing, for sure. It was fun enough. But what it is, is really zen, somehow. Yeah. Which is ironic, given that it's meant to be this really dangerous job where you're in servitude to this evil corporation. There was one point when I was like, 15 minutes? Hmm, that's actually a pretty decent time for a shift. Like, imagine only having to do 15 minutes of work a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's that's true. Although I feel like the game would have met with some serious resistance if it had come out and been like, you've got an eight-hour work day. <laughs> Five minutes for lunch. Yeah, then it's it's really doubling down on its uh, theme if it did that. That would be jokes. Yeah, I think that might have been too hardcore. But yeah, what it made me think of 
actually, do you know what? I was going to take credit for this, but I can't really. When I was playing this game, I went downstairs and my girlfriend was like, oh, how's it, how's it all going? Blah, blah, blah. How are you finding your game? And I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. And I started to try and explain what it was like. And she said, so it's basically keep talking and nobody explodes, but by yourself. And I was like, that's actually a pretty good way of describing it. It is. It's like you've got the bomb. You've got the puzzle, each of the components that appear on the bomb, and you know how to disarm those components already because you've been taught, and so you just need to do it within the time limit. Mm. That pretty much sums it up. But yeah. whereas with that game, the driving component is the communication, is the fun of the communication, and is actually the challenge is insane. Yeah. With this, it's not at all. Yeah, I agree. I had a similar-ish comparison, which is less to do with the game itself and more to do with kind of what I thought it was going for. So did you ever play Wilmot's Warehouse? Yeah. On Switch? Not on Switch, but I have played it on PC, yeah. Yeah, I felt like it was going for something a bit like that, where it's this sort of mundane work. But whereas in Wilmot's Warehouse, having the mental map, just to give a quick explanation, basically you're storing 2D cubes in a warehouse and you'll get a bunch of orders for those 2D cubes, so you'll just have to go and fetch them. But there are like... 300 different kinds of cubes so where you position them you basically got to have a mental model in your head of where all these cubes are so that you can service your orders in time and whereas that is just really fun like memory exercise which is really compelling this has nothing like that like it's got the servitude but it hasn't got the fun thing attached to it which makes it a bit more compelling yeah i agree with you actually just to latch on to what's house because it is quite fun it's like initially as an example you might get like maybe an orange and a banana or something and you're like oh yeah i'll create a little section of my warehouse called fruit oh yeah and then someone will bring something along and it's like i don't know an orange trifle and you're like oh it's kind of fruity it's got fruit in and it's orange so i guess i'll put it near that and then <laughs> another pudding will come along and you're like oh now i kind of have a pudding section next to the fruit and you'll put it there and then eventually it will just be orange things like it's started really yeah. strategic <laughs> oh great really good yeah so yeah you also in the moments warehouse you get the agency of like designing your own categories whereas in this there's none of that there's the decision about how to break up the ship but like you say kind of feels like there's a right way to do it and if you stray from that you're just been suboptimal Hmm. And one thing we haven't actually mentioned is there's a finite number of variations of ships. Mm. So even though that is the game loop and you do the same thing every time, there are only four, I think four, key ship types. The Mackerel, the Javelin, the Atlas, and the Gecko. I felt like way more. Really? No, I definitely didn't think so. All you've got is those ships, but of different sizes. Uh... So it starts off and like you, I think you're dismantling a Mackerel, which is kind of quite a compressed little Mm. and it's panels all the way around and then there's is the atlas the one that's got fuel canisters all around the middle or is that the javelin Mm -hmm. javelin's the one with the really big fuel containers in the middle and so then maybe the atlas is the one with the cargo things attached to it all the way around that's it like if i said to you as we just did like oh yeah it's a javelin you have in your head a mental model of what that ship looks like and mm. it'll give you variations of them sure like a bit bigger a bit smaller slightly different compartment layouts etc but the gist of how you decompose those ships is the same every time and i found that a little bit not lazy because i know how much sort of time and effort these guys put into this game and generally i think it's really paid off 
but I just felt it needed more than that really. Like that's all you're doing is dismantling ships. Like throw us some more fucking varieties. <laughs> well, what I was hoping, because what I expect, I don't know why I expected this, maybe like a flash or a screenshot or something of this game. I thought it was going to be more of like go and explore a space station vibe and like do something there, which is a construction theme or a breaking theme or something like that, rather than like literally just ship after ship, which even though some of them are quite big, are ultimately quite small objects, like compared to something bigger like a space station, which you can see in the distance of the game, like just out in Earth's orbit that you're in, there are these massive structures. So I was hoping once I finished my ship, that I'd be able to go off and do some missions like that, but no, unfortunately not. Yeah, you know, I thought there's that same thing in that, <laughs> I actually put a little gaming banalogy in here. Oh, yeah. Which yes. is, it basically feels like you're stuck in the training area of World of Warcraft and you're farming the animals, like, and you're getting good at it and you're really enjoying it and you're like, yeah, I understand this game. And then it's like, that's it. Just stay there and we'll just throw some different animals at you. And you're like, but there's a whole world. I want to see the world of Warcraft. Yeah. And instead, you're just stuck in a training area. And the weird thing is like that makes it sound a bit harsh almost, like mm. it's too contained, but this has worked. Like Portal 1 is a classic example. And I think this game is really like Portal in more in more ways than one. Mm. Not least this one, which is that you're in a really contained space and you don't really have a broader narrative that breaks you out of that space. Like the entire content of the game takes place there. Mm. You're also a bit irrelevant to the broader story. The interesting thing is you're, we've said you've got this silent protagonist, blah, 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 mm. but you actually don't make or take any decisions that impacts the game at all. So you don't have any way of saying, no, I don't want to join the union. The union's happening with or without you. Do you know what I mean? Those guys are kicking off. So you're almost like a spectator or a witness yeah, yeah. to the unfolding events of the game. It's true. Which is less like Paul, but similar in so far, certainly in the first game, that you are just a, a test subject doing what test subjects do. <laughs> mm. They've engineered this environment so that they can give you a gaming loop that's really fun. And it is really fun. Mm. And we should say that the career mode, which we both played, is only one of the different game types you can do. There's like speed runs, free play. The game's designed to sort of use that loop in a bit more of a, maybe a traditional gaming way. I don't know what you'd describe that as. Like not in a story way, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Actually, interestingly, the element that we mentioned of the 15-minute shifts and the finite oxygen and fuel got a real backlash from a lot of gamers. That was kind of a recent update that they almost caved to pressure to scrap that for the free play so that people could choose to play dismantling the ships without having to worry about that because it was like an added stressor that they didn't want while they were just happily going about dismantling it. That makes sense. Yeah, I kind of get it. And I'm kind of like, well, suck it up. That's not the game, bitches. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but, but why not do both? That's true. Yeah, yeah. You might as well have the option if people are just feeling really zen about breaking up their ships. Then. Yeah. But what you said before about like wanting to break out of the area and like do some missions, mm. I felt the same in part because he introduces you to one element of the game that's like hanging over you or one element of the landscape that's hanging over you, which is this thing they call the bridge. And it's like an elevator full of all of the shit cargo and stuff and it's just yeah. constantly zooming past you and it's as far as that i can see and the whole time i was like surely that's going to be the finale like we break that or we dismantle that or i start dismantling the actual shipyard or something yeah because the world around you is moving like the bridge is one example and then there's the the warp 
gates. I don't know, actually called warp gates, I think they're just called gates, which are transporting things between Mars or like Jupiter or wherever they're going. And sometimes, well, at one point Weaver's like, look up at the gate and like you see like a ship come out of it and move through space. And bits like that, I don't know, they're a little bit awe-inspiring, but you never get near it, do you? I totally agree. That is such a disappointment, is you want to engage further with the world, but you are resigned to the role of spectator most of the time. But that being said, I wonder if, like Portal, we'll see a sequel wherein they do allow you to break out using a lot of the same sort of mechanics that they've mastered in this game. And then, like in Portal 2, you use those mechanics to sort of more broadly in a traditional narrative mm. in this whether we'll see a sequel whereby you are sort of bringing down the Lynx Corporation using all the tools that they've oh, yeah. trained so cool. you on and stuff which would be wicked wouldn't it like I'm quite hyped to see if they do do that in a way yeah it would be good because it is the gameplay is really cool isn't it <laughs> like the fact that you can like cut through any piece of metal and pull it aside and that kind of thing yeah in space in space <laughs> Talk to us about what happens then, the industrial action, because I think we're getting there towards the end, aren't we? Okay, cool. So, industrial action, act three. Spoiler time. Mm. Really, really fucking disappointing. Not going to lie. Oh, the industrial no. action is, I thought it was going to be, like we said, something like actually using the tools against the corporation or some sort of uprising. But instead, you are told to dismantle the ship as you normally do with one caveat, which is that rather than aiming to save money, you're aiming to spend money. So anytime you would have put stuff in the processor, you put it in the furnace. Anytime you would have put stuff in the furnace, you put it in the processor. Huh. And if you were gonna put it in the barge, then you put it in the furnace as well. So the aim is to destroy the ship, basically. Because obviously then Lynx aren't making any money. And the point is that like, you need us, we're the little guys, we make you your money. And if we just ruin these ships, you don't get anything. Hmm. And that's kind of their leverage. Interesting. There's a bit more to it, but like that's the gist of it. All right, folks, this is it. Whew, I'm ready. You good, Kai? Yes. Yes. Okay, remember, the whole point is to show them we control the profit. So, fail all them salvage goals. Trash them components. Really junk up the value of that ship, you hear? Surprisingly fucking hard to do. <laughs> Why? You're not just doing the opposite to what you normally do. Yeah, but it takes so long. I literally did a meltdown. The first thing I was like, I'll just go straight to the reactor. Oh, yeah. And blow it up. Dismantle it and leave it there and just let it blow up. And it was... Nice. I was quite looking forward to it because I actually... Because I was so wanting to do the job that I was assigned to do and do it well and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like a good little subservient worker. Um... <laughs> I'd never actually seen a reactor explosion before. So I was quite looking mm. forward to seeing that. And it is worth seeing, I should say. They've done a good job on that. But it didn't do that much damage. I thought it would like just blow up the whole bloody ship and kill you probably. But oh, instead it just devalued the reactor, devalued a few components around it. And then you still have to go through the entire ship one by one, but just throwing shit into the furnace. I was like, mm. oh, come on. Well, the idea of that I think is actually pretty cool. But like you say, the mechanics of it, you're just doing the same thing. And so if you're hoping for some sort of change in the game loop, 
at that point, then you just haven't got it. <laughs> or any kind of genuine escalation in the story. Because obviously while mm-hmm. you're doing it, you've got Hal being like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't do this. I'm going to I'm gonna disable you. And it like he keeps turning off the processor and the furnace so that you can't throw stuff in. Which right. when he first does it, there's a little bit of drama. It's like, oh, is there going to be you know new developments here? But then Weaver overrides him and turns him back on. And then he turns him off and then he turns it on. And it just drags out the whole thing. Hmm. Obedience is success. You've chosen to cross the company that gave you a chance. We'll drive you into the ground with debt. We'll give you work so dangerous you'll revive 20 times a day until your DNA comes apart at the seams. And when you come back as a useless, shivering blob, we'll make your family pick up the bill. Plus, there's a cool bit of you get to make your own decision here because of course you are in control of your own player and you can decide actually I'm not going to join the union I'm going to be what some Mm. people might controversially call a scab and be like nah I'm just going to uh, keep doing it and I'll put everything where it belongs and try and make a buck and if you do do that Hal obviously loves you Weaver's like oh I'm disappointed that you're not you haven't got any solidarity but I understand where you're coming from and all of the outcomes are exactly the same. Like, you're one person, which kind of works for the overarching narrative of, like, you know, one person doesn't break everything. But yeah. at the same time, I wanted them to have somehow built in an alternative ending whereby, like, your choices did matter to the story. Because then what actually happens is it turns out that incident where Kato almost died was recorded in the voice logs and all the press attention that the strike gets they leak the recording and then Hal ends up getting sent back down and loads of administrators get shown up to be doing wrong by the company the rabble rousers the unionists get what they want uh, which is better rights better pay etc wow and um a few people get some downfall but all of that stuff is just told in the sort of comic book style that it gives you in the intro as well so you don't sort of play that you don't experience that you kind of just get it summarized on a few screens it's also really surprising as well because it just seems like the kind of world where it's irredeemable it just seems like a completely irredeemable landscape doesn't it well so the caveat is that you do get some rights and some more money but they're still not great and also the ceo calicia or whatever i mentioned her name was at the beginning yeah yeah she is untouched the executive structure of the organization are untouched and no impact whatsoever on the fact they've almost killed loads of people right is your debt cancelled then at the end because that's one of their conditions isn't it yeah so what they do is i can't remember the exact terms but basically they repay you loads or they like back pay a load of stuff that you should have been paid and so what it will do is it will radically diminish your debt if you haven't already paid off enough of it for me because i've been playing for ages and also because i actually postponed doing the industrial action because i was just enjoying act two (laughs) i was out of my debt straight away and had like tens of millions or whatever oh wow okay wow 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 so then because i hadn't completed the ship like you said you completed bertha Mm. before act three yeah yeah i hadn't so i couldn't finish the game without completing that ship because that's the ship you kind of fly away on at the end. Uh, that's like, yeah, your your retirement kind of thing. Yeah. And in a sort of slightly arbitrary narrative closure, 
Weaver retires and Dee Dee takes his place, but there's not much explanation as to why that is. I think it's more just huh. like it seems like something that would happen at the end of a story. <laughs> right. Hmm. Well, I think that's interesting. I think the industrial sabotage aspect of it is is narratively cool. But like you say, it doesn't sound like mechanically very fun. It reminds me of, you know, like when bus drivers go on strike sometimes. They still go and drive the buses, but they just don't take any payment from customers. So it's like, I'm still going to provide the service, but I'm not going to make the business any money from it. Which I think is really cool because then it's like nobody's pissed off apart from the employer. Exactly. So it basically is like that. I think the premise of it is like that. Mm. And Lou gets her job back and, you know, they tie up all the loose ends, really. What I found just a little bit frustrating is that you fly off and leave your workplace and you fly through this incredible environment in your new ship and you see the expanse all around you, which is actually a bit like The Expanse, Mm. um, the TV show or or books if you've read those. And I just felt like deprived of having been able to sort of see what was going on there and explore there. And like, it felt like what they'd envisioned was so much bigger than what they'd actually afforded me the opportunity to play. Mm. So yeah, I think I left a little bit disappointed ultimately, but I had a great time along the way. Nice. Well, <laughs> as usual, glad one of us finished it. <laughs> yeah, but Conte, there must be at least one element that you loved, which I'm imagining, Con, you must have liked the music. But there wasn't enough of it, didn't you think? Like, it was quite repetitive. It felt like there were only about four tracks. And given that you're going out every shift, I almost felt like this game, it would be a bit cheesy, but it could have done with, like, a little Spotify plugin where you could... I mean, maybe they could have like maybe maybe they could have skinned Spotify as some sort of corporate radio station, which is rapidly becoming. And you could like yeah, import your own music and make your shift playlists or something like this. I thought that'd be fun. But as it was, I love the banjo tracks for sure. I love I love a bit of old time and whatever it was, but wasn't enough of it. Forgetting the Spotify thing, just because I feel like if they'd have done a Spotify plugin, that would have unbelievably compromised their narrative. But if if they'd have just allowed you to play whatever media your computer was playing, but like stream it in the game, that would have been cool. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I get what you're saying about like you wanted variety and stuff, but I mean they don't have. It's not like Rockstar where they can have like tens of radio channels that have tens of hours or hundreds of hours of content no, from like pros on, how and many, stuff. Yeah, but how many songs were there? I'm sorry, but there are so many artists. Even if you take just the genre which they presented you with, which I think is old time, um, like there are so many artists like who are not making any money <laughs> from their music but produce incredible music. Just pick up like 10 of those and give him a little bit of a slice. That would have gone with their narrative. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> that is a good point. It reminds me there used to be a podcast, or maybe there still is, called, I think, Welcome to Night Vale, or something like that. The desert seems vast, even endless. And yet, scientists tell us that somewhere, even now, there is snow. Welcome to Night Vale. And it was just a sort of almost nonsensical 
podcast or surrealist podcast imagining itself as the local radio station for a fictional town mm, <laughs> and yeah, nice. it would kind of tell you what was going on and it would give you the weather but it would say and now the weather and the weather was always just a, a random artist basically an unsigned artist somewhere oh, cool. that had submitted their music to the podcast and it was such a cool way of learning new artists mm. one of my favorite songs ever i got from that by a guy called chuck brodsky which is yeah never would have heard of if it wasn't for that so actually i think you make a really good point mm. that's cool maybe we should write to them and say introduce that yeah because you've got some clout with devs haven't you I feel like Weird West set a bit of a precedent there. Yeah, maybe I'll get on the Discord server. You know, I never actually shared Weird West on that Discord server. We got a like on our tweet, though. We did. We did get a like from the Weird West. I just thought when they liked it, I was like, they haven't listened to that episode, have they? No. The social media bods have loved the tweet about them, but they have not consumed the very critical content about yeah game. i like the idea that twitter sarcastically asks them do you not want to read it first like it does yeah <laughs> and they're like no no it mentions us it's fine <laughs> yeah, oh, funny. Man. all right well that's probably that game isn't it it is it is do you want to say what we are playing next i've forgotten what are we playing next oh it's stray oh, stray next yeah go on what is it? Well, it's a game about being a cat. That's all I know about it. And I love cats, so. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's good enough for me. It's good enough for me. It's caused a, a splash, this game, this year, hasn't it? There was a point, maybe a few months ago, where everyone was talking about it. I guess because everyone loves cats and this game's about being a cat. Yeah, wasn't there like a spike in donations to animal charities and stuff? I was. I didn't hear about that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Nah, I'm, I'm just <laughs> absolutely <laughs> made that up. <laughs> Spike Yeah, good. Uh, but yeah, now that is a wrap. And now, the weather. <laughs> we stop for peaches, a little roadside stand. Man said his name was Bill. I said, I'm Chuck and this is Annie. He said, Annie was the one, only true love. Of his life, and they met at his wedding, but by then he had a wife. And it was during the reception in the spring of '64. She, his newlywed's best friend, followed him out the barroom door. Maybe his ring got smaller. Maybe his fingers swelled Maybe he'd made a big mistake Maybe time would tell Bill asked, do you feel what I feel? And then he said, I do Bill was at loss Wondering now, what should he do? He did what he had to He'd just taken a wife She would take good care of him For the rest of her life And 
Bill and Annie fought the urge They saw each other often And she was there in black But Daybell's wife lay in her coffin By then she'd gotten married By then she'd moved away She'd asked Bill for his blessings And said it was over said taste the peaches cut us each a slice they were a little on the small side they sure tasted nice do you think I did the right thing Bill asked though I knew he knew so I answered with a question asked him Bill do you said, Annie, pleased to meet you. Nice to meet you, Chuck. And Annie and I, we drove away in Annie's pickup truck with a box of 20 peaches and a homegrown tomato, too. And a couple of things to think about and every now and then I do. I do. Is the orange and blue really a Hollywood blend thing? Yeah, have you never noticed? Basically every single movie and every poster and every trailer is all a blend of orange and blue. Uh, They've just like saturated those colours in. If you Google just like, I don't know, images, movie posters, let's try it, Hollywood movie posters. Wow, yeah. Yeah, they're pretty orange and blue, right? Now I've flagged it, you're not going to be able to unsee it. Every movie you watch from now on, you're going to be like, fuck!